Well, as we're thinking about being a healthy church, taking a look at Acts 2 is a great place to look because uh, Acts 2 is where you have the official beginning of the church in the New Testament. And so uh, we're going to take a look at this. Uh, Jesus, after he ascended to heaven, after dying on the cross and being raised to life again on the third day and uh, appearing for, for 40 days, ascended into heaven, and then the apostles are, are waiting and um, the Holy Spirit comes upon them. Peter preaches this sermon at the Feast of Pentecost. All, lots of Jews from all over had been there. And they're convicted at the end of this prayer. And so there's one verse I'm going to have us especially look at for today. Uh, but I want to start reading here at verse 36 of Acts chapter 2. This is the conclusion of Peter's sermon. And he says, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, talking about Jesus, both Lord and Christ, both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promises for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing all the proceeds to all as any had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So you have this great account of the early church and the things that the Lord was doing the verse I want to zero in on for our purposes today is verse 42. Because in there we see the early church and we see there are four things that these early Christians were devoting themselves to. As they turned to Christ from their sins, they put their trust in Jesus Christ, uh, were saved, they're changed in their life. And according to verse 42 it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and the prayers. So the, this is important to take a look at. We're doing a series on the, the health and mission of the church. And so we've been going through this with uh, quite a few weeks, talking about different topics and what God wants us to do, uh, what we need to be a healthy church. And so we take a look at this, and it mentions four things here. And I want to think back, and, did we cover all these things? And it says they devoted themselves first to the apostles' teachings. 
So you have the apostles there, they're, they're communicating spiritual truth, uh, theology to them, explaining uh, from the Old Testament as well. And is this something that we do? Yeah, we had a message on biblical discipleship. And we talked about a healthy church uh, is going to devote themselves to the apostles' teachings. And we don't have apostles these days, uh, but we have their teachings written down in this book. And that is why we take time to go through this. That's why we're, like, we're going to be going through First uh, John and walking through it uh, bit by bit, uh, verse by verse, to unpack uh, what God says to us through these writings. So that's important for a healthy church. So we see that. And uh, the fellowship, we've had messages here about the unity of the church. We have messages in this series about caring for one another in the body of Christ. So that's obviously really important. And it says the breaking of bread. Now that could be talking about just the fellowship they have with people eating together, but uh, good chance this is talking about them celebrating the Lord's Supper together, uh, taking the ordinances. And we saw that people here, they, they were saved and they were, they were baptized to show that they had uh, died and been raised with Christ. And then they would take the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's sacrifice for us, that Christ died to save sinners. And doing that. But then the last thing it mentions, it says, and the prayers. Or some translations will just say, and prayer. And so we're concluding this series talking about the importance of prayer. And this being just essential for a healthy church. Now it says, if you catch it, it says, breaking bread and the prayers. Which seems a little clunky to us in, in English. I did check and that is literally how it says it in, in Greek. It was originally written. So this could be a reference to maybe there were certain prayers, maybe they were praying through the, the Psalms as part of it. Or it could be a reference to that uh, the Jews, they would have morning prayers, noon prayers, and evening prayers, and they were praying at set times as well. But the important thing we see is that they were devoting themselves to prayer. This is an important thing. And so, yeah, this is why we get together when we do this, and part of what we uh, do when we come together on Sunday morning is we do pray. But is our, are our prayers here uh, just words that we say, or are we praying well? Are we a church that is, that is a praying church? To, so to put it really simply, the main point for today is that a healthy church is a praying church. And hopefully we can talk about a few things that will help us to be uh, both individually and together uh, better and better, more of a praying church. And I know for most people this is something that people wish they could... Uh, improve their prayer life. I think sometimes there's a lot of guilt in feeling like we don't pray the way we should. And so hopefully this message is not going to amplify that guilt, but to also, on the other hand, uh, help us and cause us to realize the importance of prayer and what we need to be doing and how to be praying. A healthy church is a praying church because a healthy church realizes that nothing that we are called to do can be done without bringing ourselves to God in prayer that we need to be doing that. So let me give you four points here for today's message. The first one is that a healthy church prays to glorify God. The first message in the series was that uh, a healthy church is about the glory of God. Everything else that we do points to God's glory, funnels to his glory. He deserves to be glorified in everything that we do. And so our discipleship is about the glory of God. Evangelism is about the glory of God. Uh, just everything funnels to this, lifting him high. 
And as our lives, our hearts are changed and other people, we, we learn to appreciate the Lord more, to find our delight in him. And so we get the happiness from it, but even more, he gets the glory from this that he deserves. He's the Lord of our church. He deserves to be central. And we, so we saw in Acts 2.24, it talks about along with they're, they're, they're praying, but they're praising God. And so things that need to be a part of our prayer life are going to include things such as admiration of God. Uh, it's not just a matter of we go to him with, here's our list of all the things we need, but we want to spend time uh, just uh, admiring him, giving him praise for who he is, for things that he's done, which means also thankfulness that we're giving to him as well. Having these hearts that uh, we're coming to him in a relationship with him in prayer. That's what prayer is talking to the Lord. And he wants us to have the relationship with him. And so we're, we're giving him this praise. Again, he deserves it, and it's good for us. And we get our delight, we get our happiness as we do this. But these prayers of admiration and thanks to God, they need to come from the heart. It's not a matter of just, let's have the right scripts and say the right things, and God is glorified. Or if we could get up here or have Pastor Zach come and, and say the most elegant prayer there is, if it's not coming from our hearts, as a congregation, it's not giving God the glory. Donald Whitney, in his book, Praying the Bible, he tells a story about a little girl who is taught uh, the, the kind of the classic, you know, nighttime prayer. You know, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. And she was taught to, you know, say this. And eventually she realized, why does God need to hear me say this every single night? But I guess she thought, I guess he does. I guess he needs to hear this. But she thought there's an easier way to do this. So she recorded herself saying the prayer. And she just played the recording before she went to sleep. And we could do the same thing too. We want to have more prayer in this church. We got a sound system. Okay? And we got a we, you know, computer system. We could record things, put it on an endless loop. And we could have prayer going out here when none of us are even in, in the building. And I think we realize God wouldn't actually be glorified because it's not the sound waves that he's after, he's after our hearts. And God cares about what's in our heart. That should be an encouragement to you as well, too. That it's not the eloquence of your prayer and the right words that you choose. God cares about what's in your heart and what you're expressing to him. Thinking about prayer, too, I realize, you know, theology matters to your prayer life. There's certain things that you just, you have to believe in order to have a good prayer life. And I'm going to give you four of these. And we think theology, it's like, are you going to talk like some highbrow stuff here? No, we're not going to start talking about uh, superlapsarianism or something like that right now. These are basic things, but man, if you think of, if you don't believe these things, it's going to impact your prayer life. And the first is believing that God exists. If you don't actually believe that God exists, your prayers aren't going to make sense. It's kind of pointless. I think there are some people that pray and they don't believe that God exists. Uh, well, everyone believes deep down. And that's why in moments of crisis, sometimes people, they do pray because deep down they really know that God is there. But in your mindset, if you don't normally think that God exists, if, then what is prayer? At the most, it's you're doing a pep talk to yourself. And if that's all that prayer is, 
I don't care if you do it or not, okay? That's a different thing. It's not just a pep talk. It's not sending the good vibes. Uh, prayer is talking to the God that actually exists. Next, you need to believe that God hears. As I mentioned, these are not you know, uh, difficult things to understand, but these are really important. If you believe that God is there, but you believe he doesn't actually hear us, uh, then why would you pray? I mean, there are plenty of people in this world that exist, but they're, they're not going to hear you. They don't know what you're thinking even, and no matter how loud you yell. Uh, but if God is somewhere distant and he can't hear us, uh, then yeah, that doesn't matter to pray. But think about it, even if just these thing, two things are true, how that changes. If there's God who exists, the God who created this world, the God that's revealed in, in Scripture, and if he can hear you, Okay, you have a line directly to this person, this being, okay? Then aren't you going to take advantage of that? I mean, there is uh, always a president of the United States who exists. Uh, he exists, but you don't have access to talk to him. But if you did, are the things you'd want to say. But this is God we're talking about. He exists and he can hear us. Next thing you have to believe is that God cares, if God existed and he could hear you, but he didn't care, that would impact your prayer life. And a lot of people, maybe they don't pray because they don't think God really cares. He doesn't want to hear about my problems. He's, he's too busy. He doesn't care about me. He doesn't like me. Well, Christ, Jesus Christ came to die for sinners, okay? And he wants you to turn to him. If he was willing to do that, he is going to, you know that he cares about you. And so we have a God that, that cares, a God that has revealed himself uh, as, as Father to, to believers. Jesus taught us in the Lord's Prayer to pray to him as our Father who is in heaven. And that was a big deal. That was a revolutionary thing. And lastly, that God responds. That God actually does respond to our prayers. Prayer sometimes changes things. I mean, God knows from the beginning his, his plans, and you can have that below your mind, but if you, we had a God that, uh, imagine he exists, he can hear us when we pray, and he really cares, but there's nothing he can do about it. And that's going to change your prayer life too. I mean, you could pray to him knowing that he's, uh, his heart goes out to you, but you know, his hands are tied, you know, he just can't do it, you know, I guess free will means he can't do anything, or, you know, if you had a view of God like the deist that you know, he started the world, but he can't, you know, interfere with it anymore. You know, that's going to change your view of prayer. But if you believe that God exists, he hears, he cares, and he can actually respond in, in, and make a difference, that's really going to impact your prayer. That's because now when you pray, you're calling God to act, and you can ask him to, to help. And it may not mean that he is going to part the Red Sea or do something that seems like a, an obvious supernatural occurrence into this world. But if you believe that he could if he wanted to, that's something. If you believe that he can work in people's hearts, he can work in your heart to change you, to change your motivation, to change your life. That he can work in uh, the hearts of your, your, your children, your family members, people that are maybe bitter towards you, and that there's nothing you can do, but you can pray and that God, might be, that God can work in their heart to help them with this. 
then this changes things. So do you believe these things? If you do, we start putting these things into action. Again, God cares. He cares as the perfect father. This means he also he knows what's really best. What is ultimately most important is our relationship with him. That's also why he doesn't grant every request that we have. Because he cares enough and he loves you enough that he knows what is ultimately best. And we often ask for the wrong things. And if God was just a magic genie that dispensed any wish that you have, there's a lot of things that eventually you would say, yeah, I really shouldn't have asked for that. So God, in his love, oftentimes says, it's really sweet that you think this is the way to go, but it's not. And God tells us no, or he tells us to wait, or he gives us something else in a different direction because he knows what's ultimately best, not just for us, but for the people around us and all the ripple effects that all of these actions are going to make in other people's lives as well. Because it's not just about us. Ultimately, it's about him and his glory. Also, it would not be ultimately good for you and I if God let us treat him like a cosmic vending machine. If every prayer that we had, just pull the lever, say the prayer, and you get whatever answer, we would very quickly start treating him that way, as the cosmic answering machine, or the cosmic vending machine. God doesn't always give you what you ask for, but he does give what is best in the big picture. And that is true. So, we pray for the glory of God. Second, a healthy church, we pray for each other. We're focusing in this message not everything there is to say about prayer, but especially prayer as, as a church. And so one of the big things is as a church, caring for each other means we are praying for each other, praying for one another. In Ephesians six eighteen, Paul wrote, told the believers in uh, Ephesus and other churches to be praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Supplication is making requests. We are able to do that. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And again, saints in the Bible refers to all believers, that we are praying for one another and asking God to, to give to each other our, our needs and what is genuinely good in our lives. In his book, A Praying Church, Paul Miller wrote this. I thought it was very helpful. He says, Praying together opens the door to love where one person's burdens become everyone's burdens. Can we think of part of uh, being a healthy church is caring for each other's burdens, caring for one another. And we live in a society that we're, we're so individualistic. We care about, you know, just ourselves. Uh, maybe some people, they care a little bit more, you know, their, their family or their real close friends. But as a church, we're called to, uh, to care for, for each other. We're called to um, carry each other's burdens, to help each other in, in our needs. And so one of the ways we do that practically is through prayer. Now there's practical things we do as well, giving help, giving our time, giving our resources, uh, helping with material needs. And it's really encouraging to me as a pastor to see people in this church doing that to one another. But one of the ways that praying for one another really helps with this is that when you're praying for another person, yeah, you're taking their burden upon yourself. 
if we're doing it in the right way. That you're praying because you genuinely care about this thing that is th the other person's going through, what is difficult for them, uh, for their good as well. So you're expanding your, your circle of who you're uh, concerned about, not just to you, but to other people as well. And so if we want to be a church that cares about each other, praying for each other is just a really important thing. That's one of the reasons when I started as pastor here, we started a time with staff meetings where we go around and we hear from each other and hear how can we be praying for one another. I know some of you are doing that in small groups and uh, different classes as well. It's a really important thing to be doing. But sometimes, you know, uh, praying for one another kind of goes sideways. There's times where some people don't enjoy it as much. And I think sometimes the way that prayer time for one another goes wrong is because sometimes a lot of the requests that we make are either they're distant or safe prayers. Let me tell you what I mean by that. You know, sometimes, you know, people, you know, kind of when, you know, they give a prayer request, it's something, you know, uh, well, pray for my cousin's neighbor's dentist, you know, cat or something like that. And some distant thing, uh, you know, removed from, you know, their life or their, the people immediately around them. And it's uh, just... It's something that's like, I, I don't know these people. It seems like you barely know these people. It's this distant prayer um, request. So sometimes it's those type of prayers. And there's also the, the, the real safe prayer requests. And what I mean by that is there's a lot of times, and maybe you've been in it, where it seems like all of the, the prayer requests are for one or two categories, through either health or travel. Okay? And there's nothing wrong with that. Okay? And you can pray for people that have safety and travel. That's fine. You can pray for health issues, that's biblical, that's good. But I think sometimes the reason that it becomes just those things is because you can, uh, with a lot of those things, uh, share those without making yourself vulnerable, without really help, having to open up. Now, I know depending on the health issue, there might be some things that are uh, obviously more you know, intimate or, or personal, but you know, there's some things that it's just, it doesn't really get at your heart. You know, it's, it's these things on the outside. And I think if there's a, a church that is growing in better and better in prayer, that it's going to go from having these prayer requests for each other that are these, these distant or external prayers to things that are more personal, more at the heart. Let me read to you another quote even from, uh, from Miller from the book, The Praying Church. He writes this. He says, Love's, love shapes the boundaries of our prayers. Occasionally, we'll, we'll, we will pray for distant cousins with knee surgery, but in general, I shy away from that because these people aren't part of the community, nor am I a fan of widely posted prayer lists. They are lifeless, disconnected from the person and the story God is weaving. I've seen prayer lists overwhelm people's fragile faith. With a list, you don't get a sense of the person who is in need, nor do you see any unfolding story. A praying community isn't a factory where you input needs and output answers. And to be clear, he's not saying that you can't pray for those things, uh, but I think he's making some good advice, that the more the prayer requests are, are close to home, and the more they're like, to the heart of a person and their issues, 
the more important these things are. And I think it shows a growing prayer culture in a church or a group uh, when the prayers become like that. Let me say it like this. A prayer the prayer culture in a church, you know it's improving when people carry each other's personal burdens and heart issues to the Lord in prayer. A lot of times in groups that I have, we'll talk about, um, I mean, you can have the distant prayer if it's really a burden to you, but I want to hear what's, what's going on in your life, you know, or in you know, your immediate family. Let's, let's hear about that first. Not just always these distant people uh, that sometimes are put out kind of as a distraction so that we don't have to actually pray for you or know what's going on in your life. I think if you only have so much time to pray, what's going on with you? And can you share that with other people and have them pray for you to really lift up your burdens, your needs, your concerns? And so I think it's better to have prayer requests that are, that are, that are personal rather than distant. You, your immediate family, again, especially you. And heart issues rather than merely the surface issues. You know, what's going on in your heart, in your depth of your life? Prayers for character. Prayers for attitude, prayers for love of God, sanctification, your heart, actions that, that flow from the heart. Do you ever ask people to pray for you about those things? Or is that that's too personal? So just pray for the trip I'm traveling and do that instead. Again, you can pray those things, but it's good to have people that you can open up to about these things that are really going inside and they can pray. We can pray for each other for those things. Listen to what Paul said in, in Colossians. This is Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. Just listen and think of the things that he is praying for for the believers in Colossae. He says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in, fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Think of those type of things. Are we praying those type of things for each other? Are we asking other people to pray those kind of things for us? I'd be very glad if you prayed those type of things for me, for my life, uh, for my family as well. And pray these for, the, for our, our church as a whole and for specific people. Pray these things for your kids. Again, that's Colossians 1, 9 through 14. Great list of things that you can be praying for, for people. I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about the men's Bible study that we have on Wednesday. And we get together on Wednesday, and we're working through 2 Corinthians. And we start with a, a time in uh, the East Overflow Room where I usually go through last week's passage and do a little recap of it. And then we break into to groups, and we take time to, to go around, check in, see how everyone's doing, and if they have um, something that they would like prayer for. And early on, you know, guys, you know, a lot of times, you know, didn't want to have something. They didn't want to open up or say something. And, yeah, we should expect guys to, we're not wired the same as the ladies. Okay. Uh, but one thing that I've seen that's been healthy over the years 
now it's been like nine years doing this, is the interaction has changed. And the way that the guys uh, kind of open up about things and the prayer requests that they have. And yeah, there are prayer requests for health issues and there are prayer requests for uh, you know, family members going through problems and different things. But you know, I write down the prayer requests. I thought, there's some of these prayer requests that guys have that I'm like, that is such a good thing. I'm, I'm so glad to pray that for you, for praying for each other. I wrote down some of these. Now, guys that are in this, I don't have any names or none that are like uh, super personal here. But I want to give you just a flavor of some of these that it's been really neat to see it become these type of prayer requests. Man asked, pray to keep me from getting prideful. There's a lot of stress at work. Help me with this. A request for God, a guy asking prayer for being a leader for his wife and children. That he would do well with his goal to do morning devotions and have prayer time with his wife. A man asked that he would be a light for his family and for others. For help reaching out to a family member that just went through a tragedy. To be a light for Christ in the workplace. Help with extra challenges in the next few months in the workplace. Encouragement for his wife as she is going through a stressful time. A prayer request to remove distractions from life so that he can better concentrate on his family. For a family member that he's been trying to, to get to come to church with him. For spiritual strength. For direction and wisdom for possible career changes. Help for a specific sin in his life that this person named a very specific sin that he's struggling against. It's good to have people that you can open up to about these things. Now, depending on what it is, you have to, certain things are going to be more appropriate or inappropriate for different sizes, but for our struggles, it's good to have someone, whether it's a small group or at least an accountability partner that you can talk with about some uh, temptation or issue or something that you are struggling against. How much better than having to fight that fight alone? Another for balance in life and for good decision-making. And it's just encouraging me to see men asking for these type of things, to, to be leaders in their home, their family, the workplace. Uh, yeah, prayers for themselves, but to be growing in character. So God calls us to be praying for one another. Another thing, point three, a healthy church prays because it believes that God can do what we can't. That's one of the reasons we pray. Because there are things that God has called us to do that we are not able to do. But we know God can do these things. And we need him to step in and do the stuff that we cannot do. An example of that, a very clear one, is, is evangelism. We want people to turn to Jesus Christ and to be saved. We want them to know the message of salvation, that Jesus Christ is the God-man, fully God, fully man. He came to this earth. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross for sinners, paid the price in full for anyone that will turn to him in repentant faith. And they will find an all-sufficient Savior that has paid for their sins, embracing them with open arms, because the Bible is clear that salvation is not by our works. It is by a gift of his grace, and we receive it just by, by faith, by trusting, repentant faith, turning to him. 
And you can explain that as well as you possibly can. You can be, and we should try to, we want to be biblically clear. We want it to be from the heart. We want it to be winsome. We want to implore people. But you cannot turn someone's heart. There's only so much we can do. But God can reach in. And God can take the hardest heart and he can turn it. And he can, he can loosen that. He can work it. He can shoot his harpoons into someone's heart. And so we do what we can do. We share the gospel. We present it as well as we can, trying also to live a life that is winsome and matches uh, this gospel message. And we pray for the part that we can't do, for God to be at work in their heart through the Holy Spirit. Paul lets us know this is something that happens. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6 or 7, he tells the Corinthians, he says, I planted Apollos, uh, another minister, he said, he watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. So he says in evangelism, uh, it's like, yeah, one person may put the seed in, you know, start telling him about Jesus Christ, give him the, the word of the, the truth as a seed. Another person, because maybe it doesn't happen right away, is like watering the seed. Uh, but ultimately, it's God is the one that causes uh, that seed to germinate and to start growing. So yeah, do your part. Be telling people the gospel message. Be watering it. Maybe there's someone that started the process with a different person, and you can be helping with this. But at the same time, we're praying for God to do what we can't do, to reach in that person's heart and to uh, cause them to, to respond in faith to Jesus Christ. This is true of evangelism, but it's true of pretty much everything that we need to do. Discipleship. This is not on our own. It's God working through us. Be praying for God to change you, to cause you to grow, to sanctify you, to help you to uh, put to death sins that are in your life and to grow in victory for meeting needs. There's things that as much as we just try ourselves, it's not going to happen. You know, but God can do amazing things. God can work things together in amazing ways to give, end up giving practical help for people and things they need. If there's things you can do, yeah, still do those things, but pray for God to do what you can't do. Pray for uh, changes of heart. Pray for people. Uh, you can pray for healing. You can pray for these things. Pray for our leaders, okay? People in the government. Things you think, well, there's nothing that we can do. But you know what? We can be praying. We're called to be praying for our leaders and people in this world, influential people, that God would direct, he'd work in their hearts. Things that we cannot do, pray for God to be at work. Lack of prayer is often caused by an attitude of self-sufficiency. We like to think, well, I don't need anyone else. I can do it myself. And we even try to justify it that oh, I shouldn't have to bother God about this. But you know what? We are not sufficient. The truth is we are weak. Okay? And no matter how sufficient you think you are or how strong you think you are, the reality is, is we are weak. There's things that we just cannot do. And so we pray for God. It's okay to acknowledge your weakness. It drives us to the Lord instead. When we realize our insufficiency, when we realize our weakness, it drives us to God in prayer. And last point for this morning. A healthy church prays both corporately and individually. It's both and. It's not one or the other. 
And some might stress one, some might stress the other, but we need to have both of these that are going on at the same time. So when I say corporately, I could use the word together, we pray together, but the word uh, corporate, it comes from the word that means body, okay? So we're praying together as a body, as a, as a church. We are the body of Christ together. So yeah, we're to pray together as a body. Let me ask you some questions as you think about kind of applications and life change with this. How do you pray when we pray together? You ever pay attention to what's going on uh, in your head, in your mind, when we pray together? We've had a few prayers this morning, and I think oftentimes it's so easy for this to happen, is that, okay, it's prayer time, bow your head, and maybe we're paying attention to the words, but I think all of us would probably admit sometimes our mind is somewhere else. We're thinking of something we're the only thing we're paying attention to is when is he going to say amen so you can open up your eyes and not spend the next 10 minutes with your eyes closed? Uh, or are you praying along with whoever's leading in prayer? Are you echoing these things to the Lord as well? And I think even when we have like one person that's leading in prayer, I challenge you to, to make that more of an active thing that you're doing as well. That it's not just passively, well, it, it, at least be paying attention. But it's not just that. You need to be paying attention so you can say amen at the end. Okay? Amen does not just mean the prayer is done. Okay? Sometimes we think that's what the word amen means. The prayer is done. No, amen means yes or I agree. And so if you're going to say yes and I agree, you better know what you're agreeing to. Otherwise, it's like signing a contract that you haven't read. So you have to pay attention so you can know, can I say yes to this? Can I say I agree to this? And, you know, stamp your name, co-sign on to this prayer. But I would challenge you even more to also, during this prayer time, you know, to be echoing things, whether you're saying the same thing or just in your head silently, uh, silently is going to be best here, uh, to uh, be, um, yeah, maybe rephrasing things or praying along with the person as well. Like, yes, God, give that need. Yes, God, give that help. Um, God knows what's in your heart. But if you can be active in that, that's going to be a good thing. I also want to ask you, are you involved in, maybe it's a small group, maybe it's one of the Wednesday Bible studies where you do pray for one another. And if you're not, I want to encourage you at some point to get involved in something like this. Because we're not able to do this when we get together in the large group. Okay, this is important. This is our time as the church body to be together. But the re part of the reason we do these other things as well is so we can have that opportunity where we are praying for each other and we know each other. And you need some people in your life that know you. Okay, prayers for each other happen best when you actually know the person, you know their life, you know their story. And you can see God working through this. And you can see the story um, uh, taking shape and, uh, and giving God the glory for these things. That's why um, in that quote I read you from Paul Miller, he said, he doesn't really like just the, the abstract prayers that it's like you don't know the person, you don't know the story. Not to say you can't do that, but it's not the same as when you're involved in the story of someone's life. And so that means having people that you're willing to connect with and, and open up to and to be involved in that type of a community. With that, I want to challenge you, this is a big step for some people, to take 
to challenge yourself to pray out loud for others. And for some, I know that's tough. I know it's terrifying. It doesn't have to be long. It doesn't have to be uh, this super, you know, formal, detailed thing. Remember, God knows. He hears you. It's not just the words you say, but he knows your heart. He knows what you're trying to say. And that's a super comfort for us as we pray for each other. I would encourage you to take notes. You know, as people are giving prayer requests, jot down some notes. That way you can remember these things, not just then when you uh, pray for each other in that time, but also as you move forward and, you know, through the week, you can keep praying for each other. So corporately, but also individually. If we're a church that the only time we pray is when we're together, there's something wrong with that as well. We are called to be praying together. We see that in the book of Acts. We see that in Scripture. But we're also called to be praying individually as well. Jesus taught in Matthew 6, 6, he said, but when you pray, go into your room or your closet and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, this doesn't mean that all prayer has to be in secret, but there should be, you should also have a personal private prayer life. It's not just for the show. It's not just for other people to see this, but also individually you're growing in prayer. And for us to be a church that is a praying church, we need to have both of these. We're praying together, we're also people that pray individually as well. I know this is tough to do. Um, well, tough in the sense that it's something a lot of people, they, they recognize they want to grow in this area. Sometimes they don't know how to do it or how to pray. Our prayers seem dry. It sometimes seems like we're praying for the same things, you know, over and over. And you can try to make, you know, lists. You can try to map things out. Um, one really helpful thing is to do what's called praying the Bible. And there's a book by this I already mentioned by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. And it's a simple little book. And actually, I just put a whole stack of them out at the Welcome Center. And these are also ones that, uh, well, again, they didn't fall off the back of a truck, but we, we got them so that they're free for you. I think there's 50 of them. So I'd be very glad if you took one, one for your family. But what he talks about is that one thing that you can do when you feel like your, your prayer life is stuck or to make it as a discipline so you can pray longer and make sure you're praying about different things is you take a passage of scripture. He says the Psalms work particularly well. And you take that and what you do is it's kind of a back and forth of, of reading a little bit and then praying to the Lord. Okay, so yes, your eyes are going to be open for part of it. That's okay. It's, you, know, God, you can pray with your eyes open. If you're driving, it's really good to pray with your eyes open. But here, what you're doing is you're, you're, you read, maybe it's a line or a verse or a, or a little section, until you have something you're like, oh, I can respond to this. You know, prayer, this, it makes prayer into more of a conversation. Okay? And that's what it is. It's God speaks to us through this word. We speak to him through prayer. And so, for example, um, if you were to, to pray a psalm, uh, like I said, they work really well for this. You read a line, you respond to what's going on. And whether it's exactly what it says or maybe it just triggers your mind for something else or a person comes to mind. Okay, that person isn't actually in the passage, but it makes you think there's a person I know that's going through a tough time. You, you can pray for that person, and that's fine. And what you do then is... Um, you pray whatever comes to mind, and then when you're done, you move on to the next verse or the next section. And you can do this as long as you want to do it. It keeps prayer from being stale. 
your mind doesn't wander. It makes it more about God rather than just being about you. And it makes you pray about things that you wouldn't otherwise pray about rather than the same old things. It makes it more of a conversation like it should be. So for example, let's say you're Psalm 9, just 1 through 2. Okay? So if you had your scripture open, you're looking at this, you might read, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. There's all kinds of things this could trigger in your mind that you want to pray to God. Obviously, you'd be thinking, God, I, I give you thanks. I give you praise. Um, Lord, maybe you start to think of things in your life that you're thankful for, and you start you know, listing those. With my whole heart, maybe that triggers for you saying, God, I realize I, I've been giving you part of my heart, uh, but not my whole heart. It's not like you have to have exhaustive every possible thing, but you're going to find there's a lot of things that's going to prompt you to pray to the Lord. And then when you're done, you move on. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. And maybe this is going to trigger in your mind things that God has been faithful to you, things that, from Scripture, things in your life that God has done. And you're, you're telling them to the Lord for, uh, to give him praise, to give him thanks for that. I will be glad and I will exalt in you. Tell him, Lord, I, I love you. You make my life happy. You give me peace. You give me joy. You give me fulfillment. Lift, I want to lift you up in my heart. Maybe this makes you think, God, right now I'm, I'm not being glad in you the way I should. Be at work in my heart. Change me. Pour your joy into my heart, into my life. You know, there's lots of different ways this can go. I will sing praise to your name, almost High. And you just keep going like this. And there's no set rule for how long you have to pray for each one. But as you keep going, it's going to prompt you for different things that you can pray. Now, this is an unusual way to end a sermon. But we can just talk about prayer, and that's one thing, and I can hope that maybe you'll do this. But what I want to do is I want to spend the last few minutes, and I want you to try this, okay? And it's going to be silently. God knows your heart. But if you have a Bible with you, I want you to turn, we'll try Psalm 16. If you have your personal Bible, great. If you have one, there's different Bibles in the pews. Let me say, please only use your phone as a last resort, just distractions. I wouldn't recommend that, you know, if you want to do this for your personal prayer time as well. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you four or five minutes to do this. You say, that seems like a long time. I guarantee you are not going to finish this psalm before time is up. And then I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to worship the Lord again. But I hope this is a little sample, and I hope you do this at home as well. So let's take this time, look at Psalm 16 individually and spend time with, between you and the Lord praying some of these things to him. Father, we thank you that you are a God that is there, that you are a God that hears us, that you hear our heart, you know what we're trying to express even if we don't say it well. Lord, we thank you that you are a God that cares, that you care about the big things and the small things in our life as well, that you are a Father that loves us, you care because uh, you want relationship with us. You care so much that Jesus came and died on the cross for our salvation to reconcile us to you. And you're a God that responds in the way that we need, Lord God. Not always the way we want, but what is truly best for us. Lord, thank you that you are God in which we can take refuge. Lord, it is true that there is 
no good apart from you. Every good thing in our life, every blessing that we have flows from you. Apart from Jesus, we deserve nothing but condemnation. But you give us so many blessings in this life and so more in the life to come, Lord. And thank you because it's all earned by Jesus. It's all by your grace, Lord God, given to us. So we praise you. Our hearts are glad in you. Our being rejoices in you, Lord God. You will not abandon us. We thank you that you will be victorious in the end. Lord, in your presence there is fullness of life. At your right hands are pleasures forevermore, Lord God. Lord, help us to focus on you. Help us to be a body of Christ that, that clings to you, that goes to you, that finds our sufficiency only in you, Lord God. Lord, help us to be a church that is, that is healthy and that is about your mission, Lord. Help us each to care for each other, to lift up each other's burdens. And may everything we do be ultimately for your glory, which is our, our beloved duty, Lord God, you deserve it, and it is our greatest delight as well. We give you praise. In the name of Jesus, amen.